If you're struggling to attract new staff or your team is experiencing burnout, pick up your phone and call Guardian Vets. Through virtual team solutions like after-hour triage, daytime virtual receptionists, callbacks, and telemedicine, Guardian Vets can help you have happy staff, happy clients, and a thriving business. Go to www.guardianvets.com and check Veterinary Success Podcast in the Where Did You Hear About Us section to get a free consultation and receive 50% off your first month of service. Don't wait. Check out guardianvets.com now. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Veterinary Success Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Douglas, and I'm excited that you're here. And with that, we're going to jump into this week's podcast here in just a second. We're going to hit up our sponsors that help make the show possible. There's lots of companies that I believe in that I think help veterans across the board, whether it's find a job, hire talent, become more efficient in their practice, all those things, right? So these sponsors mean a ton to me. So I know a lot of people will fast forward or skip through them. But if and when you're looking for help and some of the solutions they offer, I would highly, highly encourage you to check them out. And so with that, no further ado, jump into the ads and we'll get right into the show. So thank you for listening and uh, enjoy. I get it, Isaiah. You talk about Bitcoin all the time. Well, as I go out and about, I continually hear the demand for any more Bitcoin education, or I don't really understand. I hear you talking about it. I know you're passionate about it. I know you have a lot of conviction, but I need more info. And that's where Bitcoin for Vet Med really came from, was taking, hey, the 10,000, 100,000 hours of time that I've spent and distill it down into bite-sized courses and walking you through of getting a foundational why, a little bit of understanding the technical side of Bitcoin, and then how to grapple with the fear, uncertainty, and doubt, and just the things that you hear throughout the media and giving you the ability to up your Bitcoin knowledge to go from zero to hero and feel a lot more comfortable saying, okay, this is something that matters and I want to take some of the value that I create and save into Bitcoin. So head over to bitcoinforvetmed.com or click the link in the show notes. If you're struggling to attract new staff or your team is experiencing burnout, pick up your phone and call Guardian Vets. Through virtual team solutions like after-hour triage, daytime virtual receptionists, callbacks, and telemedicine, Guardian Vets can help you have happy staff, happy clients, and a thriving business. Go to www.guardianvets.com and check Veterinary Success Podcast in the Where Did You Hear About Us section to get a free consultation and receive 50% off your first month of service. Don't wait. Check out guardianvets.com now. Finding a job or finding a veterinarian shouldn't be a waste of time. Enter an offer first. Paul Diaz and team have created something really special with Offer First. Some of my favorite reasons are as follows. Candidates and employers will both have values aligned on the first step, not the last. The sign-up process, quick and simple, no resume required. So if you're looking for a job, but you aren't really sure, it's as easy as scrolling on Zillow for a home. And finally, if you have a great match, it's based on your each unique requirements, not random keywords. If you want to learn more, listen to episode 179 with Paul Diaz. We cover all of that. The other exclusive great thing that you're going to get from this ad read and from Paul is I convinced him to give an exclusive discount to listeners of this podcast. So for owners, you're getting a 20% discount on both the placement of any candidate, but also access to the platform. Use VSP if you go to offer first or the easiest way is a link in the show notes. So check it out. Associates, those looking for a job, same thing. Use the link in the show notes. Use VSP if you go directly to offer first. But I will donate and Paul will donate to a veterinary nonprofit of your choosing. So each person that signs up gets a vote. Your votes actually count, which is incredible. And so I'll be reaching out. I will handle that. But there's going to be a donation made for any associate or any job seeker that adds on the platform. We want to make sure that not only does the platform help to make sure that you find a better fit, better culture, better role, but it's also doing good in veterinary medicine. Okay, so link in the show notes is going to take you to offer first. It's going to automatically apply that, but also use code VSP if you go to offer first directly. And offer first is changing the game of veterinary recruiting. I want each and every one of you to benefit from it. So check them out today. Find out for yourself why my friends at Shepherd Veterinary Software are the fastest growing practice management software. They're doing something right. Founded by Dr. Cindy Barnes, Shepard is an intuitive, easy-to-learn, streamlines practice management. Built for vets, by vets, it works for you and your team so you have more time to spend on what's most important, your patients. 
Shepard automatically updates the medical records, adds services to the invoice, generates discharge instructions, and so much more. Bring home more stories and less stress. Check them out at shepherd.vet. Again, that's shepherd.vet. Today, I am joined by a very special guest, and that is Dr. Tanasia Crocker. Dr. Crocker is an ER veterinarian with Veg, practice owner, speaker, content creator. She's everywhere. She hosts the Questions with Crocker podcast. She's a wife and a mom. We had a fantastic conversation at VMX, and I was super excited. She's like, hey, listen to your podcast, and was like, I want to come on. And so finally, finally, we were able to make it happen. But Dr. Crocker, thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I am very excited. I am definitely a podcast listener. Don't you think like people either listen to them or they don't? And so there's so many great veterinary related ones and yours is a little different than some of the other ones. So I do enjoy it. So thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Yeah. I try to be different by design, but also I think it's just, I'm not a veterinarian. I don't come from the same background. So I'm going to come at it from a different lens. But I think one of the things I want to chat through with you is just you're doing a lot of different things. I think for a lot of people, I've had a couple of folks say this to me, like, Hey, you looks like you're all together. You have all this stuff. I'm like, if only you knew, right. <laughs> what life looks like, but you are able to balance a lot of things with your conversations. Cause you can go through a really heavy topic and then you can come out and, and have something really witty and funny. And how do you kind of go through and decide what content you want to cover and how to balance those two? I think that a lot of it is just trial and error, right? Figuring out as you develop a following on social media, what do people really respond to? What do they enjoy? So you come up with some repetitive things that they come to expect from you. And so I do a lot of cases on my stories where people work through it with me and give me answers. I also do occasionally funny things. I don't really dance on social media that much, but when I do, it's pretty hilarious. But I try to include really consistent things that people who follow me will say, oh, I really like it when you do that. And then a lot of my content is just the reality of my life. I don't think that I really need to manufacture stories or experiences because what we have going on as veterinarians, just (laughs) in the hospital and, you know, as a practice owner with my team, there's so much there. And so a lot of it is really just sharing the reality of what I've been through. And sometimes that's really wonderful things and really great stories or funny things that happen. But then other times this is a really hard job and profession. And so it's just me being really real and raw about a difficult time. And I think that Being true to what is actually happening in my life and not really manufacturing things is hopefully one of the reasons that people find me relatable and enjoy watching my accounts and my content. Yeah, I would agree. If you're going to be genuine and be you, it's pretty easy to create content versus trying to manufacture this facade or this person or this persona. Because then if we connect at an event in person, I'm like, she's totally different than what social media puts on where it, it feels very, very similar. And I think that's extremely important, not only just for a personal brand, but also for how you present yourself if you are a practice owner, right? You don't want to have a certain brand or an image and then someone come and experience it and be completely different. The disconnect would be hard. Well, and I have a lot of people that I work with, one at Veg that come in and are doing their student externships and then also come to my hospital or interviewing to be an employee. And so I agree with you. I think one of the best compliments I can get is when I go to a conference and someone says, oh, you're Dr. Crocker. I love your videos. And we talk and then they tell me afterwards, I'm really glad I actually got to meet you. You're what I expected. And so that to me is one of the best things they could say because it means that I'm doing things the way that I really want to. And I think you're right. If you aren't who you truly put across on social media, eventually that's going to come out and people are going to know that we're in a really small industry. So I want to stand behind what I put out as content. I don't always get it hundred percent right, but I enjoy it. And I think there's some value in what I do. And so I want to keep doing it, keep growing. I will tell a funny story. When we connected VMX, you said I looked different than the graphic. And at the time I hadn't put video or anything really to a lot of my content. And so I think I asked, and I was being a little bit of a jerk and being self-conceited. I was like, am I better looking or not? And so it was funny to uh, <laughs> connect because it is important, right? Where you can meet the individuals that put out content that you follow. Well, and I'm surprised people don't tell you like, oh, you're taller. Everyone tells me you're shorter in person. And I'm like, well, yeah, you only see me from like 
the torso up on social media. So it's hard to gauge that, but people will definitely comment on your height or how you look when you're on social media. So you got to develop a little bit of a thick skin, but fortunately I have that. Yeah. And I think the other thing, yeah, as you become a bigger personality or have more content and you're willing to put yourself out there, no matter what you do, you're always going to have haters and or people that don't like you for whatever reason. You might say something they don't agree with. And now for the rest of their days, they're going to just always look at you as someone that's negative. And I think that actually <laughs> brings me into the idea of like this. One thing we I think we kind of bonded over is this idea of do you need to be liked? And I would love to kind of unpack that a little bit. And then this idea of just how to be respected by also being genuine and sharing your feelings and being able to have thick skin. I think this is a really hard subject to unpack as much as I want to pretend like it doesn't matter to me when people are hateful or send comments. It definitely is difficult. I think it is harder for me if I'm attacked or targeted by people I actually respected or know, if that makes sense. Some random person on the internet who is just bored and wants to try to blow me up over something, I don't really give too much merit to that. When you have people in your industry that you respect or that you appreciate what they're doing. And then they kind of, I don't know, look at you as less than or purposefully are waiting for you to do something that they can then try to cancel you or put a target on your back. I've definitely experienced that in the last couple of years and that those have been the hardest times for sure. So you do have to get past the fact that you are not going to be someone that everyone's going to like or everyone's going to follow. And of course they say, if you're doing it right, you're going to have haters and people that like you. But there's definitely weeks where it is harder. And then there's weeks where you get so many wonderful supportive messages where people say, thanks for posting that. I was feeling really down and it's nice to know someone else feels that way or has had a difficult experience or can you give me advice on this? When you create a community where there is support and there is a lot of love, I just really lean into that during the harder times. But I do caution young veterinarians, especially that tell me, I want to have an account. I want to do this. I really do caution them that you don't go into this believing that everyone is going to just love what you do and love you as a person. You're going to have to have a thick skin or else you're going to really struggle mentally. I think if you're on social media as a professional. Yeah. That's why I think I've always said I would hate to be a super famous person that has the paparazzis or people following you around where you're on the headlines all the time. That would just be terrible. And even you can see it even from more of a micro. So within this tight knit community that is vet med, where it can feel a little bit like a double-edged sword where it's really great. I mean, you feel like you have these peak moments and then the, there's certainly valleys, but is it just trying to remember, Hey, I've had a hundred good comments or interactions to the one bad and just try to remind the scales are still tipping very much positive. Or is there anything else that you've done that's helped you from a mental perspective, just to stay positive and understand what I'm doing does matter and it is important and people do like it. So I'm going to continue to push through even when it stinks. I think it's a little bit of both. Uh, similar to me being an emergency vet and having shifts where I have really tough cases and I can't save all the pets, but I've worked a lot on gratitude and mental exercises to really train myself in that at looking at, okay, look at all these owners that were really happy or look at all these pets that we were able to save and really trying not to focus on the one, right, that was the hardest. And so I think that it is something you can kind of teach and train yourself on, especially if you're in this industry, I think it's important. But on top of that, I've definitely developed a circle or a group of people in this industry some that create content also that have really become a family of sorts that we can encourage each other. We've met in real life. We have true, genuine friendships and relationships. Like I would consider you a friend, right? But you first kind of see each other online and then you meet. And so I think by developing people that are in a similar place that can help you and be there if you're having a hard time and you can call them and say, like, there's not many people you can call and say like, oh my gosh, this post went viral for the wrong reasons. And now I'm getting all these hateful messages. And this is really hard. You have to have people that you can connect with and can support you. And you can talk through those things on. So I think it's twofold for sure. Teaching yourself gratitude and also having that support system in place because you shouldn't do anything alone. And knowing when to reach out or talk to somebody is an important thing to understand as you mature in this career. And I'm similar to you in the way where it's, we don't feel like we have to be liked. We have self-confidence. We believe what we're doing is good. But at the end of the day, all humans, 
they're lying if they say they don't want to be liked by people. That is absolutely one of the things that we all enjoy. And it's not, no one feeds off of all that negative energy. There's certain times with like athletes where they can motivate themselves, but it's like, ultimately there's certain people that the opinions matter. And I think to your point, random trolls on the internet, not important, but when it is someone that has been close to you at one point and it changes, that hurts. It takes time to move through that. But you mentioned to me, and we can unpack this or we can just kind of leave it as, as that, that you feel like respect over liked is more important. Why? I think that someone can say like, oh, I like you, but respect means that they, I think, really see you for who you are and they appreciate what you're doing. So it's great if someone says that they like me, but if they take the time to get to know me know my passions, know my reasons for what I'm doing. I think that's just more valuable to me. And honestly, I have a lot of conversations. I'm an extrovert. I talk to people all the time and there's a lot of superficial, like, hi, how are you type conversations. But I think even if you think about when we met, I really like to talk about things that are important and dig a little deeper. And so you don't have those conversations necessarily with someone that you're like, oh my gosh, you're so funny on the internet. You have those deeper conversations with someone that you're like, I really value your opinion and what you're trying to do. So let's have a real discussion. So I think, and it's kind of funny, I'll tell a story really quick. We have students come in the ER and work with me. And I think a lot of them know me from social media. And so they'll be on shift with me and we'll be working together. And it always kind of makes me happy that they're there and they can actually see that I know what I'm doing as a veterinarian. I'm good at what I'm doing. And we had like a huge surgery the other day. It was a really hard surgery. We did it, banged it out in no time. And I like <laughs> looked at the student and I was like, now see, I can actually do this job. It's not just that I talk about it on the internet. I know what I'm doing and I know what I'm talking about. And she started laughing and she's like, I had no doubt, but it was that feeling of, I want to show you that I'm not just talk, that I can walk the walk. And I think that that is important to me. I don't want to just be a face on social media. I want to live what I'm talking about. And that's important. That kind of segued a little bit, but hopefully that made sense. <laughs> no, it's perfect. And I think going back to, you have a lot of different things that you're doing, a lot of different roles that you play and yeah, you want to be good at it, right? Again, going back to no one wants to fail over and over again, like that's part of learning, but if you aren't good at it, that's obviously going to wear on you as well. But you are a self-proclaimed workaholic. I think that's sometimes very common within vet med because of who it attracts, the amount of desire and care that is there. And then I think you add on that a lot of other things that you're doing. How do you stay positive, charged up, have energy for all the different things that you have? Because as I talked about, you have a family, you have lots of things going on, you want to be really great at work, and then you have the content and the stuff that you're producing. I think a lot of people would be curious just how you rest or find time to do things that you enjoy outside of all that. I like to try to say that I'm a self-aware workaholic. So I know that I have the tendency, like I could go up to work and I could stay there and I could stay there the whole shift plus stay afterwards to help out with another surgery. And I can just keep going. I enjoy being there. I enjoy things, right? But I think that I've learned at this point kind of to be more intentional with my time and to schedule myself a little tighter, I guess, than I normally would have. And I actually now, and I know this sounds crazy, but I schedule days off. So I schedule days where I don't have to be in the hospital. I'm not traveling and I'm actually just off. I'm not doing podcasts. I'm not doing Zooms. I'm not creating content. And I think that has helped me to say like, this is an off day. I'm going to be intentional about either doing something for myself that I really want to do that's not vet med related or making sure I have lunch with my kids or making sure I'm present for them or what they have going on. I do think it helps me that I have a partner who were very similar in the fact that we don't really believe in this separation that people want between work and life. I mean, we own a practice together. There's really no way to say when we leave work, we're never going to talk about work or talk about the practice. So we might have a discussion at 10 o'clock at night about something that happened at the hospital that day. But from the time our kids get home until they get in bed, we are going to be with them. We're going to be taking them to practices. We both went to volleyball practice last night just because we wanted to be present for our daughter. And so I think that it's looking at everything you have going on and putting your energy where it really needs to be when it needs to be there. 
but I don't necessarily have this line that's really black and white of this is family and this is work. This past weekend, we did a marketing event for my hospital and it was actually really fun. My son and I were the first ones out there. He's seven and he helped me unload the car. We had an hour and a half, just the two of us of setting up a canopy, which is very interesting with a (laughs) seven-year-old and setting up tables. And he set up the candy area and stuff. And he had the best time and I had the best time. And he was just excited to be out there. And he helped hand out stickers at the booth and talk to people. And so it, I guess, was like an integrated experience, right? Of my family and my life as a veterinarian. And I'm okay with that. So I think that it's important to kind of know what your boundaries are and time-wise what you're able to do, but I am really intentional with my time. I was just thinking with your son to be able to see you work in a different way because I'm sure they've seen you work as the veterinarian, but then as a practice owner, because then it is times when they want things, right? I talk about this. I have a four-year-old. Money just doesn't fall from the sky, right? This costs something. And just being able to see like, hey, mom and dad have to work for this stuff, I think is just really good core foundational things. So it's not, oh, well, they just go to this magical place and they come back and we just always have stuff. I've been trying to connect that with kids, I think is super important. Well, and I did at the end of it, I told him like, you were the best helper today. I was so proud of you. And I gave him a dollar, which is a lot as a seven-year-old. And he's actually trying to save up for a VR. And so he was like, oh my gosh, a dollar. So trying to connect that a little bit of you worked hard, you showed up, you did a great job and you're going to be compensated for it. So I totally agree with you. I think that's important for them to see. And there's actually been a lot of great studies about working moms and the value of that for your kids and them seeing that. And so I think that I've gotten more comfortable with the idea of showing that side of things to my kids. And I actually really enjoy it now. Love it. Mentorship. So you mentioned having people into the hospital, seeing you do great work. And I know the VBMA has done some studies in this this ever- expanding question of like, what do vet students want? What is the life that they want to build? And it's all about work-life balance, which we just kind of unpacked a little bit like, eh, is it really this thing? Or do you just kind of integrate it? But they want mentorship. What have you seen in your conversations? Because you became close. And again, I go back to VMX. I think you had a student ambassador with you that I chatted with. And it was just interesting where you get to play that role and you have lots of conversations that aren't always structured. So what have you heard? And what do you think when you see these different surveys or these things come out of like what vet students and what veterinarians in general want? I think that the idea of having mentorship to establish a really good foundation right out of school is great. I love it. I think that not everyone does it as intentionally as they should. And I think unfortunately now that mentorship is being used as a marketing technique and a hiring tool with not necessarily the follow through every time of what is promised. So what I really talk to students about is what do you really mean by that? We can say we want to have a goal, right? But what does that really look like for you? And I think it's different for everyone, how much oversight you need, how much communication you need. Do you want somebody standing in surgery with you? Do you want to watch surgery? Do you want somebody in the building? There's so many levels of it, right? And so I really encourage them to think deeper about what it really means. And then when they're talking to potential future employers, like hashing that out with them and not just having someone say, we have this mentorship program that we created and put our name on. And so we're great and you should work here. You really need to see what that's about and see if that program fits you and your personality. We kind of talked a little bit more about the fact that there's really amazing programs out there that are evidence-based and are really valuable. And I think have shown that they really know what they're doing when they're mentoring and helping. And then there's a lot of programs that people kind of created and put their names on, but maybe aren't fleshed out the way they should be. And in general, it's kind of an issue in veterinary medicine that people feel like they need to create their own thing, especially these large corporations, and they can't kind of come together and utilize tools that have already been done because they want their own thing. And I really wish that was different. And I think it's harmful to our industry. And one reason why we can't move forward with a lot of things is because everyone talks about things and does their own thing. And it's very disjointed versus coming together and kind of championing and supporting one another when there is a really great, wonderful resource that we could all use. But I don't know your thoughts. (laughs) I would agree. I think I've seen so many different topics. Yeah. Mentorship is an easy one where there's tons of different programs. There's these coaching programs for 
mental health or lots of different consultants. I think there's people that are doing fantastic work. And then there's just so many, I'm like, how would I, as a veterinarian and as a consumer that let's say I want this said thing, if there's 25 different versions of it, how do I know which one is good? Do I try all 25? And I think to your point, it's like, okay, there's certain folks that have built some really great things and have really great brands. And it's like, oh, well, there's a good idea. So again, the sincerest form of what is it? The flat, all of a sudden I'm spacing on it, but imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. But yeah, so if you see someone that has success, it's going to say, oh, there's obviously a market here. I'm going to go do the same thing. And you have a lot of people that are highly trained and skilled and especially within vet med, I think credentials are a big thing where I see people with lots of credentials, which is great. They want the education. They want to make sure that they can deliver what they're saying. But to your point, if one or two or three, like this style works, it seems like, hey, let's just adopt that or let's outsource it so we can focus on doing what we want to do internally. So I agree with that. And I also see, and I think you would agree with this too, there's just a lot of generational things within vet med and a disconnect there where it's driving some of these big changes. And so I think I would love to hear your thoughts there on what is the disconnect where you have, I think, an older cohort that says one thing in the younger cohort, and they seem to just turn to each other and say, well, this one doesn't listen to me. And they just keep hollering back and forth. But I guess it's millennial and boomers kind of do that in general everywhere. If you can improve the health of an animal, you do it, right? Of course, that's what makes veterinarians special. You're mission driven. My friends at LifeLearn are the exact same way. For over 25 years, they've been partnering with you and your peers, providing affordable, customizable online software solutions. These solutions save time, increase efficiency, and assist in managing all aspects of operations. Why? They want to help you improve your partnership with pet owners to improve pet health. LifeLearn has award-winning digital media solutions and are leading the pack as they've prioritized having extensive veterinary knowledge throughout their teams. That difference is seen, it's heard, and it's read by thousands of people across the country. Relax, grow, and thrive with LifeLearn. Click the link in the show notes for an exclusive offer to see how LifeLearn can allow you to get back to what you do best. It's interesting that you ask this because I think a lot of people think that I, because I'm on social media and I engage a lot with vet students, that I automatically subscribe to a lot of the things that they're really pushing for and they're saying they want and they need in this industry. And it's funny because like you said, I'm a hopefully self-aware workaholic. And so I lean more in the camp of like, you get out of school, you work really hard, you maybe don't get paid as much right away. But if you work hard and you grow your skills, you will be successful in this career versus this idea of I'm going to get out of school and I expect great mentorship, a 30 hour work week, $100,000 full benefits, three weeks of vacation. That to me blows my mind. I'm not saying that I haven't talked to a lot of people and I understand where people are coming from, but I grew up in the generation of I got out of school. My first job paid me $60,000 and I worked 80 weeks. I don't think that was right either, but it's interesting. I think because I have both perspectives and I talk to both people so much, I feel like the pendulum swung so much towards work really hard and eventually you'll get there. Now it's swinging towards, we deserve this because we are in veterinary medicine and it's a hard industry and we need these things to protect ourselves. And I'm hoping at some point we kind of settle in the middle, honestly. And I think from interacting and working with new grads and students, I think the people who settle in the middle when they first get out of school, in my experience, have been the most successful. So the students that say, these are my boundaries, this is what I need to mentally be healthy. However, I understand that this industry can be unpredictable in the days sometimes. It is hard that a lot of it, especially if you're in a smaller private practice, you have to generate a certain revenue to get paid a certain amount of money. I think those new grads have been the most successful to me because their expectations are appropriate for what the industry can account for, if that makes sense. But I think it's an interesting conversation and I don't really go too hard on one side or the other. I did just hire a veterinarian and she's been out 10 years and she's a rock star and I'm paying her a lot of money to work three and a half days a week, but she is worth every penny. So I think that it's a conversation that needs to keep happening, but I do, <laughs> I totally agree with you. And I've seen it where they, two people are talking 
And there's no meat in the middle. They're both so strong in what they think. And I think I'm still in the phase of I'm trying to understand the other side of things because I come from a certain generation. So I'm trying to understand, but sometimes we talk about some things that I just don't see how you get there as a practice owner financially and as a hospital. Do you see that or does that kind of make sense from the finance logic side of the brain, I guess? Yeah. I mean, I'll say I'm a millennial, right? And I think there's a lot of folks coming out of vet school. I'm an old millennial. Yeah. That have an entitlement that do have an entitlement that they have an expectation because it's like, Hey, I've been told that there's this shortage and like I'm high in demand. You still got to do the work and show up and going back to your conversation earlier, you can't just say, Hey, I'm a veterinarian. So instantly I'm good at everything. It's like, you got to still learn and finishing school is not the end destination. That's the beginning. Then you need to go out and actually learn the skill set and be able to do it on a daily basis in the speed that needs to happen and just the quality that's there. And I think too many expect, yeah, top pay. I don't work weekends. I don't do these different things. You can't have it all. And I know that seems bad and people will tell you they can have it all right in their recruiting because it's like red flag, red flag. Correct. Like (laughs) at the end of the day, you're going to do the work and it's not always going to be fun and it's not always going to be the best day ever. But ultimately what you want to be around, and I'll go back to what we talked about earlier. You want to be around people that you can respect, that can you can learn from and you can grow because ultimately like you just said, you can then get to a really nice schedule and earn a really good living and do some great things. And that to me is where I would encourage people to go is like, how can I become really good as being a veterinarian and niche down and maybe certain things that others don't like or something that you really found a passion for and you can be very well compensated and find lots of opportunities. And I don't think it's any surprise to anyone listening to this podcast. I'm pro practice ownership and that gives you the ability to go open your own thing if you are willing to do the work, but you're not going to just be handed stuff and then just go be a practice owner. Cause I mean, you've got to add a lot more work and responsibility there, but I'm with you. I think there's this idea and it's been, you know, hammered and hammered and hammered again. It's like vet med needs to evolve and change. We get that. And I think there's some people that want it still to be old school style that just doesn't work today, but there also needs to be an understanding that you can't just show up and it just work. You have to grind a little bit at times. And my thing would be, it's okay to work three days a week, but you are going to be better faster the more you do and the more patience you see, right? And after 14 years as a veterinarian, I don't have to be in the hospital every day and I can show up and I can see a ton of patients. I can do all the high level surgeries. That's because I've worked really hard and seen so many things in the past and grown my skill set, right? And so I think that you have to put in the hours and the time. That is not just innate things that you get out of school and you know. And it's okay to say, I want to work three days a week, but then you have to also realize you are going to grow slower in your profession. So as long as you're okay with that, right? And that you might not get raises as quickly. Maybe you make more coming out of school. But what I always tell people is, so they're offering you that out of school. I want you to ask them, what are their veterinarians making in three years? What are they making in five years? How quickly are they going up? Because my suspicion would be they started here and they haven't really grown that much because they still aren't making what they need to make to get a raise, right? But I do think on your comment about no weekends and stuff, I think that that is where we're leaning. And on the ER side of things, we are having a lot of practices, general practices, not being open on the weekends or having reduced hours during the week. And I, again, come from both sides of things because I work in the ER and I see the need for emergency rooms and urgent cares to be open because GPs are setting better boundaries and having better hours, which you really need at this point to attract talent. But then you have people saying like, we have to go to the emergency room and they're angry. So I think pet owners are also going to have a awakening at some point to realize that our industry is changing. Availability is changing. Expectations are changing a little bit. And it's going to be a bumpy, I think, couple of years before hopefully those two things kind of settle out a little bit. Because I think we're doing a lot of things to change on our side and pet owners' expectations are not changing. And if anything, they're just increasing. And that is kind of disproportionate, what I'm seeing, right? They want you to be more available. These are like their children, essentially. They want you to be able to offer everything as a general practice. They don't want to go to an ER. They don't want to go to specialists, yet they want to do everything for their pets. And so that I think is going to settle out eventually, but I think it's going to be a difficult time period. 
as practice owners and as veterinarians. What are your thoughts? I'm asking you questions, but it's not my podcast. So I apologize. No, no, please ask questions. It's way more fun if there's a dialogue. I think what you just talked about, so we both have kids, they get sick. There's sick hours a lot of times on the weekends or different things where it's a said schedule. You call, you get in a queue. And I think as veterinary medicine matures, that is going to be the way that a consumer looks at it, right? Consumers are connected to everything right now. Everything's at the touch of their phone. And so they want that from whoever they're going to work with. And so if you want to not provide certain things, you just have to be very clear with that. But I think there's opportunities for practices that are able to do that and make those relationships and connections of setting good expectations. Yeah, this is how it works. But just like in human health, sometimes you got to go to the ER because no one else is open. So they just have to be understanding to that, that that's not what our role here is. So I guess it just depends the way that I would run it versus the way that others are running it. You just have to find what kind of business you want to run. And I think I can pull examples from my days as a financial advisor. It's like, I can try to be very small and super high touch and charge a lot. And then a lot of people maybe are priced out. Or what I can try to do is say, hey, this is the model. This is the touch points. And this is the service. And this is what you pay. And this is what you're getting and trying to be very clear with that. And then just do the best that you can from there. And ultimately, your practice doesn't have to look like the one down the street or across the country because there's going to be different geographic challenges for different areas. And I think that's another thing to keep in mind as well is like, is there someone around that can offer that? And are you comfortable then saying, yeah, the closest ER is multiple hours away? And I'm not going to do it. And that's fine. It's not demonizing anyone that decides to do that. You just have to be comfortable internally with saying, like, we're not going to do that. Well, and earlier you mentioned niching down or niching down. I don't know how to say it ever, but I think that that's also something that we're going to keep evolving into. And that's something I lean heavily into. Our client experience is utmost important to me. And I want it to be different than anywhere else. And I want it to be, we're renovating so that we can be a very community focused client-focused practice. And I think that starts with just how our building is laid out and the things we have available. So I do think that if private practices are smart about it, as corporate takeover continues, I think niching down is going to help set you apart personally, if you want to be not just low-cost spay and neuter type situation. I think that in the long run, you're going to be happier and you're going to be more successful if you can set yourself apart from everyone else. So the changes that you're making, I did want to talk a little bit about practice ownership piece. Did you know right away, like, hey, this is where I want to go? Or has it evolved and changed as you've operated and saying, hmm, I like that we're doing X, Y, Z, but we need to change or adjust here because that's really where I want to move this business towards. I've been talking about what I would do and how I would have a practice run and function for 10 years. I've always known I wanted to be a practice owner. So I think that I have had a very, very clear idea in my head of things that I wanted to do and wanted to offer. Now, as I've worked at different practices and relieved and just been in the industry, I think I've fine-tuned that into really specific things, right, that I think are important, like having, you know, iPads for owners in the room where they can click on and watch different informational videos and kids can play games. And there's just different things I've thought about as I've been in practice that I think are important, like how we communicate, having outdoor exam rooms, having an outdoor space for euthanasia. We're going to have an outdoor education center where we can have community events there and we can educate people and 4-H can use it in FFA and really make it an interactive place and a place that you can come with your pets or come with your family and become a better pet owner. So there was very strong ideas around the experience and then also the culture that I wanted. And I came into it with that, knowing that I'd have to do the work to get it there eventually, buying a practice that's been around for 45 years. (laughs) So did you write any of this down or was it just kind of traveling with you in your head over the last decade? A little bit of both. I'm a journaler, so I have a lot of lists and a lot of journal things. But when we went into buying the practice, my husband comes from a finance background. And so we actually had a few whiteboarding sessions, which is something I learned about, where we really laid out what we wanted things to be. He made me do an organizational chart, which was the first time I'd done that, about who was going to be in charge of what section of the practice, who was reporting to who, and we went all the way down to the kennel assistant, right? And so we've been very intentional with all of that. And the whiteboard 
was in my office forever and it had six months, a year, two years, five years, and 10 years with the things we wanted to see happen. And so I, we took a picture of that and it's something that we actually continuously reference when we're talking about, okay, what do we need to work on next? What have we accomplished? But I think it's important to write things out to really talk about with your leadership team and your management team and make sure everyone's on the same page. And then that actually kind of leads into my next question, which is around how much time do you devote to the practice versus are you open to talking about like with veg and content and how do you space all that out? Because you hear practice ownership and some people are like, well, that's all I do. And you're obviously doing a lot of other things. Are you in the practice all the time, sometimes, none of the time? It depends on the week. So let's just take this week, for example. I went in yesterday, which was Monday. And I did an ultrasound. I do the ultrasounds that are like full scans and we send them to the radiologist. I'm certified in it. So I went in specifically to do that. And then I just hung out for a couple hours with the team. We had made some scheduling type changes and we also added another veterinarian recently. So we were just walking through how that's been going. I got feedback on it and talking through kind of some of the pain points of working with a bigger team and what we need to look at. And I also haven't marketed the practice at all. And I'm about to start. So we talked about when would we be comfortable doing that? So really just being present for that. But I had a sick kid at home. So then I came home and spent the rest of the day in the afternoon with him and then went to volleyball with my daughter. Today, I got up. I'm doing this podcast with you. I'm going to go into the practice for about two hours this afternoon just to talk to everyone. And then I had to veg tonight to work a shift. And then tomorrow I fly out to Southwest Vet Symposium to do meetings for TVMA for committees. I'm speaking two times and then I'm flying back Saturday. So my week is very dependent on my emergency shifts and my travel. And then I kind of plan days I'm going to be in the hospital as the owner or as a veterinarian. I do work occasionally a half day here or there because I have clients that want to see me specifically and I go in and do a lot of the higher level like procedures and surgeries. But I really have structured it where I can kind of do what I need to do there around my other responsibilities. So it's worked well for me. One of the things I've done is I have a person in place at the hospital that I trust a lot. And she is my eyes and ears every day. I'm not there. And we talk every single day. So even if I'm not there, I feel like I still have a good handle on what's going on, but I get to come in and really talk to people. I don't really like doing employee reviews. I like just seeing what's going on and talking through things as they come up. I think that's more valuable. So I'm definitely present there, but it's not a set schedule at all. And I do prioritize my emergency shifts and my travel. And then I sprinkle in practice owner on the floor, things in between that. And then obviously during the day, I'm constantly <laughs> doing all the other things you have to do as an owner. So I love conversations with practice owners that aren't, I'll call it non-traditional. And I would throw you in that category as well, where it's not, you're there every single day. I had Dr. Lauren Jones, who works for Shepherd, but then owns a practice where she's in Arizona and the practice is in PA because they moved and some different things have happened. I just, to me, it's really fascinating because it does challenge the norm of like, it has to be done this way. And this is the only way to be a practice owner. And it's not going to work for everyone. I'm sure there's plenty of people that would try what you're trying to do and be like, this doesn't work for me. Um, but there are ways to structure and become a practice owner that is unique. And so I love highlighting that. So I appreciate you being as open as you were with kind of the way that things are structured. And it does depend on the crazy, week. Crazy life, crazy schedule. <laughs> Which again, goes back to, I know we've tried to record in the, in the past. It's like, we got to really book it out far because yeah, you have to be very intentional with how you structure your weeks and your months to make it all happen and go, I love that. And I think, you know, kudos to you and your husband, your family and your businesses to be able to run that way and give you the freedom and flexibility where you can contribute and feel like, going back to what we talked about earlier, do it and do it well and not feel like, oh my gosh, I'm failing here and here and here and just be run down. There are definitely days like I had last year, I went to, I think 15 conferences. And at the end of the conference season, I was like, it's too much. And so we already talked about, I'm cutting some conferences this year. The one I'm going to this weekend, I'm only going for three days and not the whole time. So I definitely make adjustments right along the way of what my bandwidth is and also what my family needs. And I think that's important to note also is you might have something that works for you for six months or a year or two years, but when you 
realize it's not working or if something changes in your life, you have to adjust for that. You can't just say, this is how it is and I can't change. And I think that's why a lot of people get stuck in our industry because they just can't think of what else could I do or how else could I do this because it's always been done this way. So I definitely have made adjustments this conference season uh, just so I can be a little more present for my family. And I think that that has been appreciated by them and also by me. It's been really valuable. Yeah. You got to spend time with the people that you love most. And my wife and I talk about this. You don't want your family to get the worst part of you where you give everything else to everyone outside of the family. Cause like, that's such a bass backwards way to, to do it. Yeah, that's it. I like that. That's a good way to think about it. What haven't I asked about, or we chatted on that's on your heart or mind that you feel like would be good to get out to kind of the broader veterinarian out there or the community in general? I think we did talk a little bit, which we kind of talked about it with the mentorship thing, but just collaboration versus competition. And I think that that's just something to really continue to emphasize. I have a podcast, but I still guest on podcasts, right? I don't think there's any world in which I should feel like this is competition. So we're not going to do that, or I'm not going to promote what you do because what you do is so valuable. I have social media, but I'm constantly collaborating with other people on social media or sharing their stuff. And some of them are more successful than me. Some of them are just starting out. And I think that it's important to look at what everyone's doing and see how they're different and how they are doing something good for our profession and really lean into that versus looking at everyone else and saying, ah, I wish I was like where they are and I wish I was doing what they're doing. So from just the career side of things, but also the social media side of things, I want to caution people to go into it with a collaborative heart and not a competitive heart. And I think you'll be more successful in the long run if you do that. And our industry as a whole will benefit more from that if we all have that mindset. Amen to that. Makes total sense. So I let all guests ask me a question. I know you've tuned in before. So if you have anything that you want to ask me, whether it's specific to the show, vet med, me personally, all over the map, anything you want to fire back my way? I know you have made changes recently in like your schedule and your career. Was there one moment that caused that to happen or was it a series of events that all of a sudden, you know, you hit a wall? Because I feel like I've always had, there's been small little things, but there's usually one thing that happened or was said that really helped you make a change. And then were you scared to make the change or was it like, I have to do this? Does that make sense? I'm very much, if I would regret it, then I'm going to try it. But some people are like, I'm scared. It makes total sense. It's a great question. And I will answer it as thoroughly as I can. To me, the thing that I've always said is, I loved doing the work within veterinary medicine. I loved the financial planning aspects, conversations with veterinarians, helping them work through that. It had nothing to do with the work from that standpoint, purely based on the relationships internally with business partners, point blank. I will be very clear with that. But there was basically a point where it was like, you try to course correct, you try to make adjustments or changes. And if you feel like you aren't heard and there's nothing that's going to change, yeah, you got to do something about it. And so for me, that was kind of where I got was like, I have to go out and do something different and I have to make a change because I don't feel like this is something that's going to improve. And as far as being scared to make a change, I look at like, if someone goes to my LinkedIn and scrolls or like, man, this guy can't do the same thing for more than four years, right? Like he just keeps doing something new. So I feel like I kind of try to reinvent myself a little bit every so often and I'm only 33 going on 34 and I've had a lot of different experiences and I've had some folks ask me like, Hey, with everything that happened, would you do it again? And it's not, I would say that the bow is not on the, the present yet. Like there's still some things that are being worked on. And so depending on how everything shakes out, I would say most likely yes, because ultimately it helped me be able to know there's really two passions in my life at the moment from a career perspective. I'm not going to necessarily talk personally, but it is this intersection of veterinary medicine, because I think the business and the people in it are amazing. And I think there's so many cool opportunities. And then obviously the, the Bitcoin piece of like, if what I believe happens, Bitcoin is fundamentally something that changes a lot of things. If you all of a sudden have better money and you've been working with bad money for a long time, that changes things. It's like, how do I get these people that I care about and want to see do great things in this whole industry that are full of good people, get this 
idea and concept that a lot of people think is weird, esoteric, maybe scammy or have had bad experiences and try to educate and explain it. And so like, that's kind of the cross section of where I am. I don't know exactly perfectly yet how it's going to play out if it can play out, but I will continue to do that. But yeah, I mean, I knew it was the right decision. There had been things that had been going on behind the scenes for quite a while that I've been trying to gently, kindly, sweetly work through and make it work. But ultimately it got to the point where, yeah, I had to prioritize things personally and say, is this something that I enjoy doing anymore. And I was getting to the point where I was feeling resentful and I wasn't enjoying it as much and nothing to do outside with work with clients and all that other stuff. It was all just going back to feeling respected and wanted. And I was like, I don't feel that internally. So I got to do something about it. That's what I did. I love that. And I think it's really important. People always say, if you can't change where you are, then you need to make a change. And I think that's really something to remember in this industry because you only have so much control in certain situations and beating your head against the wall is not of any value to anyone. And I do appreciate you promised that you wouldn't make me try to explain Bitcoin. So I really appreciate that. (laughs) But maybe I could be your guinea pig in the future for you trying to explain it to someone that is not finance minded and see if I can get it a little bit better. I look forward to that conversation, just not in front of everyone else. So no one else sees how dumb I am about it. But the thing is, is you can explain something that's super basic within veterinary medicine to me. Hey, bring your dog into it. And I'd be like, oh my gosh, I literally could not explain it to anyone. I understand there's going to be certain topics that people feel comfortable with and certain ones that don't. And I've tried to make a little course. I'm not trying to shill it here at the end of the podcast, but it's like, I'm trying to make content and make things that are approachable so that it can be the juice is worth the squeeze. This is kind of interesting, but ultimately I get it that incentives drive the world and inherently most people are selfish. And I know that feels rotten to say sometimes, but it's like, we're going to make decisions based on, does it make my life easier? Does it make things better for me with what I'm trying to do? And yes, we like it when it benefits others, but inherently most humans are selfish and we need to understand that. And so I always try to come at it with, how does this make an impact to you? Why does this matter? Why should you even give it the time of day? And it's like, well, if you believe that, Hey, with the rising costs and all these different things that are happening, you're going to be fine. Then don't worry about the Bitcoin piece. But if you're like, I feel it. And no matter how much money someone makes, life is getting more expensive. And they probably have started to notice. And I think one of the key things is Bitcoin helps fix that without getting into all the nuance and details. That is something that can be a benefit to folks with InvetMed. And it's not an all or nothing type of thing. It's not like you have to be Isaiah crazy into Bitcoin. You can be like, I'm a great veterinarian. I have a little bit of Bitcoin and I think it's cool, but I don't talk about it. That's great. You don't have to become someone that gets really fired up about it, but I do think it helps make life easier. And there's lots of examples of that, whether it's housing, whether it's being able to someday retire, just being able to save, pay off student loan debt, all those other things. Ultimately, I think that's what Bitcoin does. It just makes life easier from that perspective and allows people to save again. So I'm not going to do any quizzes on Bitcoin. It was like almost a little sizzler. Now I'm like, okay, I kind of want to see what this course is. That was not intentional, but that was good. One other question is it feasible that someone retires at 50, 55? Used to be what, 60, 65? But I know a lot of people now that are like, I want to be done by 50. I want to be done by 55. And I feel like it's probably dependent on the lifestyle you want afterwards and how much passive income you have. But I was just thinking about that the other day. And I was like, I should ask you if you feel like that's even feasible. I think you're spot on. It depends on what kind of lifestyle you're trying to have, right? And what you ultimately have done leading up to that. But I do believe there's movement that is the FIRE movement. So financially independent, retire early. What are you going to do? What brings you joy and what gets you passionate? Is it literally just doing nothing? You're going to get really bored really quickly from vast majority of people. Because again, most people want to create value or be productive. I truly believe that even when people are like, oh, you know, so-and-so just wants free stuff. They just want, it's like, no, most people want to contribute to society and do the right thing. I believe that deep down, most people want good things. They're not trying to take and just live off of others' accomplishments. No, I think most people inherently want to do good. But yeah, at 50 and 55, I think it is absolutely doable. And the idea of passive income to me is one that I still always struggle with a little bit. It's like, okay, is it truly passive? Because with you running the business, is it truly passive? It's like, I don't know. There's some work involved there. And just like owning real estate, sometimes it's not always passive. Um, There could be tenants, there could be lease negotiations and renewals, and there's property taxes, and there's all these different things. So it's like, how passive are those things? But it all boils down to what are the expensive and what kind of lifestyle are we wanting to live? 
But I go back to part of the reason why I am this Bitcoin person is it's really hard to plan for the future when the rules of the game continue to get changed and adjusted. And so the example I'll usually give is if you play Monopoly with your family, a lot of times Monopoly games can A, last a super long time. But let's just say you are the banker and you just create different rules based on the numbers that are rolled, how many times people go around and you introduce those rule changes, you know them in advance. And maybe you tell one other player, but everyone else doesn't know until it happens. And so they can strategically set up the game to where they can take advantage of those rule changes. And that's kind of the way that the current kind of financial system is. There's a lot of adjustments and changes that happen. And if you had something that was more rules-based and not controlled by a small group of people, all of a sudden the game becomes a little bit more fair. And you can actually plan out and say, hey, if I'm at this level at 50 or 55, I can get to the point where I'm going to live to 95, 100. I always joke that I'm going to live to 115. My wife thinks I'm crazy for saying that, but it's like, I want to live a long, healthy life. I want to take care of myself so I can live a long time. But yes, I think you can. And I hope that it becomes more of a reality where people don't have to work, 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 work till 65 just to be able to quit for a little bit of time. And it's like, well, shoot, a lot of their health has passed them by. They can't do some of the things that they really wanted to do. And it is a sad state that that's the vast majority of Americans. And within vet med, you have a really great opportunity where you have a need. You have above average compensation. Yes, the student debt thing is, is real, but there are ways to still structure it where you don't have to work forever to where you're old and gray and feel like you can't do the fun things that you wanted to do. That's good. So that is just a tip that if anyone wants to talk to Isaiah so you can retire at 55, he's available. <laughs> I just want to encourage people that it's doable the same way that I think you have encouraged people. It's like, there's never one way to do it. There's multiple ways to attack this. And depending on what it is that you want to do, I love the whiteboard session you talked about with your husband, like just whiteboard it out, put it in a journal, note out what are the key things that make life best lived if I do these things. And it can be, it's fine if it's material things. Some people are like, I don't really have material desires. I want to go see X, Y, Z things, or they just want to make an impact in their community. What is it that really, really, really is important? And then just focus on, am I making progress towards that? And if the answer is no, you need to make a change. Yeah, I love that. Great advice. Yeah, appreciate it. Great questions. And I know most people are going to know where to find you, but where would you send folks to chat more on a variety of different things? I'm definitely available on social media at Crocker. If you have questions for me for the podcast, we talk about being practice owners, about emergency vet work, pretty much anything. I'm an open book. I just tell people, don't ask a question you don't want the real answer to, but they can go to questions with Crocker and DMS questions. And then I have a website, Dr. Crocker Pet Vet. And so you can always reach out to me through there too and follow along on my journey. I love connecting with people weekly. I'm taking calls and talking to people. It's what I really enjoy. So when I say reach out, when I say, let me know if you need something, it's real and honest. So I'm really glad we finally got to do this and got to connect. It was really fun. So thank you for having me on. Absolutely. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to today's show. The comments made on today's show should not be taken as investment tax or legal advice. All comments are for educational purposes only. However, you are intelligent enough to make decisions for yourself. So I do encourage you to dig in, learn for yourself and not just outsource every decision that you make. You should talk to your professional team if you have one before implementing anything that I talk about, but also make sure they know what they're talking about. Push them, question them. That's healthy. That's okay. Oh yeah. And you probably own and learn a little bit about that Bitcoin thing. The biggest compliment you can give to me is to share the show with a friend or the podcast if there's another episode that you really like. That helps folks find it. That helps it grow. Um, reviews are critical. The Apple Podcast is the platform that's predominantly used for how people find the show. So if you have three minutes, love the show, please head over, give us five stars if you believe that's what we earned. That would help more people find the show. Also, if you're new, go to YouTube. It's a channel, uh, putting up all the videos there as well. Sometimes it's going to be more interactive. Other times it's just going to be the conversation. So vainly, I want to get 100 subscribers so I get the vanity URL. That's the goal. We're on our way, but not quite there yet. For all of today's links information, head over to veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. You can also subscribe via your favorite podcast platform so you won't miss any episodes in the future. And finally, if you'd like more information, insights, or have the ability to, for your voice to be heard, join the Facebook group. You can search for the Veterinarian Success Podcast on Facebook or head over to veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. Scroll to the bottom, about your host, click on the Facebook icon. And thanks again for listening. I appreciate you. All right. So there are a lot of great job postings that I want to get to. And so we're going to start off with Bayside Hospital for Animals, great work-life balance in beautiful Fort Walton Beach, Florida. 
no weekends, Monday to Friday, eight to five, no on-call or emergencies. It's an appointment only here. Currently a two and a half doctor practice, new owner in 2021, bringing some fresh life into the hospital. The new owner had been there for six years prior working, so definitely understands the team, the processes in the community. Lots of investment in people and new equipment. ProSal is the pay structure. Far too many benefits for me to list. Email BaysideVet251 at Yahoo or call 850-864-1857. Join a thriving, growing, small animal practice in Vermont on the Quebec border. Full-time, ideal, part-time is considered. The idea is to start with yes with the team, patients and clients in outdoor woman's paradise while uh, being able to practice high-quality medicine. Compensation is write your own structure within production capabilities. Literally, it is the owner wants to find the right person and is happy to negotiate, chat through, and find the right fit. If you want autonomy and a boss that enjoys teaching, reach out to Newport Veterinary Hospital. You can email newportveterinaryhospital at gmail.com. North Central Indiana, looking for an oasis in the chaos. Who isn't, right? Come join the amazing team at Fulton County Veterinary Clinic. They strive to foster a fun, fast-paced work environment while providing quality patient care. They utilize the support staff efficiently so that the doctor is available to practice medicine and do what you're trained to do in less time and paperwork, which is great. Lots of investment in new equipment and technology to support you, full-time or part-time available. Small animal and exotics are both seen there, so no ER, no on-call, no weekends, competitive salary with sign-on bonus offered, and far too many benefits to list. Go to Fulton County Veterinary Clinic, so type that in and you'll find the job posting there. Last but not least, join Watertown Animal Hospital, personable, small animal veterinarian wanted for well-established current five-doctor mixed animal practice in northern New York, which is an outdoors person's paradise. Again, two of those. So if you like the outdoors, you can look at Vermont or New York. They have plenty of support staff with six CSRs, six licensed technicians, four animal caretakers, two technical assistants, hospital associate, or sorry, hospital assistant, a practice manager, and a bookkeeper. Focuses on mentorship and investment on the people and the technology. That's been a strategic initiative by the leadership team. No on-call, 24-hour ER, less than an hour away. Salary based on experience, but no less than 95,000. Can be straight salary, pro-sal considered. Want to discuss that with the right person. Tons of benefits. Again, too much to list. Please reach out to watertownpetcare.com for that option as well. So again, if you find a role or a job or talk to anyone and it helps you in any way, I would love to hear that feedback. So please reach out. Let me know what you're able to do. And I will continue to post these. So if you are an owner, reach out to me, let me know. And we'll go from there. And until I hit a capacity of I can't keep recording these, I want to let people know who are high quality owners around the country looking for great help. So with that, we'll talk soon.